Oh uh-huh. 
behalf of this congregation, I want to welcome you to be here tonight. Uh, if this is your first experience of something like this, you might be wondering what you've gotten yourself into. Uh, we're part of a season, this is the end, the culmination of a season called Lent, means spring, and it's that period uh, that we mark uh, the six weeks prior to celebrating Easter, starting with Ash Wednesday. And it really is a season of reflection. Uh, some people have a tradition of giving up something uh, for Lent, and our focus really is not so much giving up something, it's opening ourselves up to someone. It's making room in your life uh, to be present to the living God who wants to give us life in Him. And so perhaps you've been doing that, or maybe you just come in at this point and, and wonder, well, what did, what did I miss? Uh, you didn't miss anything, because what we're going to do, what we did last night was reflect on the final meal that Jesus had uh, with His disciples, and the theme was love. And tonight we're uh, reflecting on the fact that Jesus died on the cross. We're going to answer the question, why? And so tonight's a more somber night. And uh, we'll be led by some reading. So we have reader one, reader two, and Pilate. And you are the crowd. You are the crowd. So whenever you see crowd on the, on the uh, screen, you have to read it, speak in a very big voice. Because typically the crowd is yelling. And it's going to be very awkward for you. Because you're going to think, I can't yell, crucify him. It just feels creepy to say, crucify him. But part of the drama of this evening is us reflecting on what God did in Christ. Uh, and because it is so harsh and it's so upsetting to us, there's a desire for us to pull back and to be small. Uh, but we need to be big because you're representing uh, the drama uh, that brought this evening uh, to its culmination. This evening on which Jesus ultimately was laid in a tomb. And it sets us up then to reflect on the very real need for Jesus to be did. Part of the season of Lent also is to practice generosity to people who are in deep need. And so like we did last night, uh, we'll do tonight. If you would like to contribute to our benevolence fund, this is something that is purely funded by the congregation and throughout the year we'll do special offerings. This money is stewarded by a benevolence team and people have very real needs in our congregation and related to those in our congregation and the community. Uh, this team comes alongside them and says, how can we help? And they help in two ways. They provide money for short-term needs. They also provide counsel to say, well, how can we help you avoid being in this situation again? So it's a really wonderful ministry. So, as you leave tonight in silence, uh, we ask everybody tonight at the culmination of the service to, to leave in silence until you get outside. And then it's okay to talk outside. But the idea is we want this to be a, a very quiet place for people to reflect if, if they want to follow the service. But if you'd like to donate something, uh, contribute something to that fund, you'll see ushers with baskets. And so you just uh, donate as you leave tonight. So let me start with this question. Why did Jesus have to die? I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever thought of that question. Why did Jesus have to die? It's a sobering question. It's a haunting question. And so let me give you this, the really short answer to this question. It's a very complicated answer, but here's a short answer. Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus didn't have to die. Here's why. You see him up on the screen. He could have left us without help and without hope. He could have done that. He didn't need to come save us. In love, though, he chose to come into the world to save and he fulfilled the love and justice of God on our behalf. God is a God of justice. Uh, he's a righteous God. When we talk about the wrath of God, we're not talking about an angry God. We're talking about a God of righteousness. And if his righteousness was revealed to us, it would crush us. We are so insubstantial. Though made in the image of God, separated from him by sin. This sin has made us so insubstantial. When the righteousness of God uh, appears to people, it, it makes us fall down out of awe, out of humility, out of the overwhelming uh, presence of Almighty God. And so, <clears throat> what did Jesus' death on the cross accomplish? Well, he fulfilled the love and justice of God in perfect righteousness according to Scripture. Jesus was perfect in every way. Uh, there's only been one perfect person to ever walk the earth, and it was Jesus. And his perfect sacrifice and resurrection from the dead destroyed the power of sin and death. People still sin, people still die, but the power of sin and the power of death has been destroyed. And it will all, all come together in a new heaven and a new earth when Jesus returns again. 
But in the meantime, his cross accomplished this. And because of his perfect love for us, he suffered and sacrificed himself to save us. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Perfect and as in it is finished. It is complete. Uh, the, the Greek word is to aside. It's all brought to completion. It's been fulfilled. And so Jesus' death on the cross is not the ultimate fail. It's the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to redeem his fallen creation. And God himself, in the person of Christ, made that possible. Now here's one of the interesting features. Uh, because Jesus was represented as, as a king and made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem a week ago, Palm Sunday, uh, Pilate, the governor, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. And perhaps you've seen that. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, I-N-R-I, on a sign above Jesus' head on the cross. It stands for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And Pilate commanded that it be written in Aramaic, which was the, the household Hebrew that was spoken in, in, in Jesus' day, in Greek, the universal language, and also in Latin. And so the crazy thing is when they, when they were preparing Jesus to be crucified, they were mocking him. Do you remember this? Now the irony is this, the supreme irony is this, they mocked him for fulfilling his mission. You think you're a king. He was a king. You think you're going to save the world. He did save the world. And so the supreme irony of what you'll experience tonight and why your voice as a crowd is so significant is that we're recognizing this incredible irony that God himself came into the world and we pushed him out of the world at the end of a planet stage. We didn't recognize him when he came, but we desperately need what he brought. Let that sink in. Because we live in a day and age when people don't have a sense that they need anything that Jesus provides. <coughs> it's an old story, it's an irrelevant story, let's move on. But the fact is that sin and death still haunt us and hunt us and hold us down. And so in what ways did Jesus suffer on our behalf? He suffered temptation, like any human being. He, he suffered temptation in every way, as every human being has been tempted, but did not sin. He suffered betrayal. The people he trusted betrayed him. Uh, he suffered public humiliation. This might not seem like a big deal, but we live in a day and age when public shaming is very powerful, is it not? Young people take their lives because they're shamed online. Uh, people uh, leave the public sphere because they've been shamed. Well, they don't enter the public sphere because they don't want to be set up for shame. Uh, that's unwanted, undeserved. He suffered the pain of crucifixion and death. I won't, we won't go into the details tonight. There's nothing more horrifically uh, grotesque than to imagine at every step in the process of being crucified. It, it's the most hideous way to be, to be killed, ever invented. And then <clears throat> the pain of crucifixion multiplied by the fact that you realize that, as Jesus said, uh, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they did. He came into the world to save it, and the world did not understand it. And then ultimately, death. Now, in his death, he suffered bearing the sin of the world upon himself. Him, who is perfect, took the sin of the world upon himself, the weight of sin, uh, on his shoulders. He became the personified, the embodiment of the sacrificial lamb that the Jews celebrated at Passover. Jesus became the Lamb of God. The King became the Lamb. And so he suffered when God ultimately turned his face away from him. It says that God turned his face away. Eloi, Eloi, Mama, Sabachthani, you'll hear that tonight. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as I mentioned about the wrath of God, he suffered bearing the wrath of God that belonged to us. So embedded in this horrible, hideous, horrific night that we recall, and it's good that we recall it, there's good news embedded in it. Just as in, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, embedded in it was a promise of their redemption that God made in Genesis 3. Likewise, here's the promise. You have been set free by the cross of Christ. You have been set free by the cross of Christ. By nothing you've earned, nothing you deserve, but by God's grace and love for you. And so therefore, uh, as the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus who started out persecuting the people of God and reviling the name of Jesus as an apostle, a tender to the throne of God, 
who ultimately became one of the great spokespersons uh, for God. Paul the rabbi, then Paul the apostle, wrote this. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And so Jesus died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We regard no person from a worldly point of view. Because we see every person as, a, as, a, as designed and created in the image of God. Loved by God. God himself came into the world to save you. If no one else had needed saving you. This is how we regard people. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In Jesus' death, all people are elevated. All people are recognized as objects of God's love. Everybody is recognized as an unrepeatable miracle of God's handiwork. And so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ himself in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, and to be in Christ simply means to say, I receive this gift of your grace. I open my life to you. Uh, there's many, many ways that the Bible talks about it. Being born again. Becoming a brand new person. Becoming a believer. Becoming a follower. Putting your faith in Christ. Being convinced that He is God and that He is your Lord and your Savior. Whatever language you use, it's, it's basically saying, I want this relationship that you invite me into. And here's what happens when that occurs. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We become reconciled to God and in this marvelous way that Bob was imagining, God makes us reconcile us on his behalf. Even as he's helping us re-understand, re-understand our past, reposition and align our present, reimagine our future. He makes us part of his mission in the world. People in progress, people in process become part of what he's doing is his mission in the world. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Though you are a sinner and you deserve the punishment of sin, God, God will not hold your sin against you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so what do we do? We believe in him and we receive him by faith. We embrace him as Savior and Lord. That's why Jesus was willing to die for you. So Lord Jesus, uh, we stand in your presence with awe, with wonder. Why? And as we understand why, we're humble. We're rendered speechless. Uh, deep emotions well up inside of us, Lord, when we think about the fact that uh, though we didn't care about you, you cared about us. Though we were either hostile or benignly indifferent to you, you were anything but that toward us. That, Lord, your love compelled you to take on human form, to come into this world, to face everything that humans face. That you alone, worthy and perfect to take on the sins of the world, have done that as an incredible act of love, a gift of grace, a declaration. Uh, that your creation will be made new and whole again. And so, Lord, we thank you for each person here tonight, for those who know you and are experiencing your grace one day at a time, for those who don't yet know you, but know that there's something missing, that there's something more. We pray, Lord, that in each and every one of our hearts and minds this evening, whether we know you or don't, we'd be opening ourselves up to you in a new and deeper way to experience your grace, to know your love, to walk with you now and forevermore. That's our prayer. We pray that you answer that prayer by the sacrifice of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. They then bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, who asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said it, said Jesus. But when leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Pilate demanded, Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins? And he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's task to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. Now it was the governor's custom each year during Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released, for Jesus to, put, to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas! Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Crucify him! Why? What crime has he committed? Crucify him! Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. We will take responsibility for his death. We so Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left.
but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise.
his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the, some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, when the centurion of those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God.
Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. We're going to take a moment now and just pray and reflect in silence. And then the choir is going to sing a song. And after that, you're welcome to stay and pray. Or if you do exit at this time, we ask you to do that in silence as well. <laughs> 